Hello everyone and welcome to Lauren's Library. I am your host, Wafika from Watto. <laughs> still, still not serious. I'm sorry. No, I'm not. My name is Lauren and I am your host. Thank you for joining me today. We're on episode three. Insert applause here. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me. Um, grab a seat. Grab the steering wheel if you're driving because I am not going to be responsible for your accidents. I can't pay your insurance premiums. I'm sorry. Get yourself comfortable because we have a lot to talk about as usual. But first, before we get into anything, I just want to say thank you to everyone that's been listening, to all of my subscribers. Thank you so much for giving me a shot. Um, I'm learning through this process that support comes from places that you don't always expect. You know, I went into this thinking that I was going to have certain people backing me. You know, it was going to be like my whole crew of people. And that did not happen. But unexpected people have supported me from the beginning. And they've been with me every step of the way so far. So to you guys, thank you. Your support does not go unnoticed. Okay, so now that we got the squishy stuff out of the way. First thing I want to talk about. I was on book talk once again, when am I not? And I saw this story about this author named Jessica Tesher. I want to say her name is, um, she is a white author and allegedly she admitted that her romance novel that she had recently published was about a black couple. She claims that she did enough research and so she should be allowed to talk about the black experience. So yeah, not only was this book, offensive in the language that it used for example the characters refer to themselves as animals which is a bit odd um i think she also based this book um during segregations in savannah georgia so book talk catches wind of this book in existence and they proceed to try and correct her like hey maybe you shouldn't write about this or as people of color we don't really need you to tell our stories or how can you write about the black experience when you are not black? And instead of taking these comments into consideration and maybe realizing shouldn't try to explain the black experience to black people, she doubles down on the nonsense <laughs> and she claims that she can write about who and what she pleases. Because as the saying goes, only God can judge her. And she begs people to read the book before they actually make a decision. So let's talk about the research she supposedly did. She claims that she researched black culture and the black ex experience extensively enough to be able to write about it. And just want to let y'all know, reading a quick Google doc does not a research plan make. Okay. If you're writing about something you don't have personal experience with, get a little deeper than that. Okay. When questioned about her methods, right? She said that she's a self-published author, which is dope before we get into any of that. Like, let's just be honest. Let's be real. A self-published author is pretty dope, but she didn't use any beta readers or any ARC readers. 
And for those of you who may not know, a beta reader is someone that reads the book before it's published or like before it gets to like the final stages in publishing to give the author advice on like whether or not this works or if the plot's okay or um, maybe they should change certain things or they should include things. Basically, it gives the author an idea of how well the book is going to do when it comes out. And it gives them the opportunity to get feedback from people that they don't necessarily know before they put the book out. And an ARC reader, of course, is someone that gets a copy of the book before its release date so that they can read the book to generate buzz about it and get people, you know, look excited for it, get people looking forward to it. So she ain't getting none of them. Okay, not a one. And on her website, there is an article because that's basically all that exists up there now. It's like this real bleak, completely like white page with just, here's what happened. And she explains it from her side. And in that article, she said that she didn't get beta readers or ARC readers because she was too scared to ask her black friends for their opinion on the book. And when I read that, I was like, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. If you are too scared to get your friends to read the book, ones that will naturally be a little bit more cautious of your feelings, try to, you know, be constructive in their criticism or whatever, then what makes you think that a community full of people that you don't know is going to resonate with the book more? Like if you can't even get your friends to read it, the black friends that you know, if you can't even get them to read it, what makes you think that the ones that owe you nothing, that don't know you at all, that don't care about your feelings at all, are going to respond positively to it. Make that make sense, dear, because I'm confused. And so there was literally no one there to tell her like, hey, babe, keep this in the drafts. Hmm. Or maybe don't refer to black people as animals. That's probably not going to go over well. You know, there's no one there to tell her that. So upon further reading this uh, blog post article, whatever you want to call it, after the black audience that she was trying to write about got in her tail about this book, she unpublished it, wiped her social media clean, and scrubbed her website, right? <laughs> the blog post itself doesn't even really seem remorseful, if I'm being quite honest. It reads more so like, here, you got what you wanted. Are you happy now? And then it goes on to talk about bullying and how hateful people are, blah, blah. I don't think a, a lesson was really learned here, unfortunately. But hey, some people refuse to take accountability for their own actions in a situation. And those people are committed to not listening, no matter how loud you yell at them. The entire scenario actually begs a very interesting question. Can white people write about the black experience? Or to give it a broader reach, can people of other races, nationalities, ethnicity, ooh, that word be tripping me up, guys, ethnicities, <laughs> other ethnicities, can they write about a race or a culture that they don't belong to? In my opinion, and others may disagree, I think it can be done if it absolutely must. I mean, I feel like there are also tons of other stories that you could tell without having to bother a certain community of people, but you know, whatever. If you feel led to tell this story, it's possible, but it must be done carefully and correctly, okay? You need to speak with people from the culture you're trying to write about, for one. You need to familiarize yourself with what is accepted and what is unaccepted in that culture. You need a sensitivity team. This is where the beta readers would have been super helpful for her. But you need a sensitivity team to tell you like, hey, don't put this in here. 
or girl, what is you doing? This does not go in this book. Take this out. Black people don't say this. Black people don't think this way. What is wrong with you? Well, no, they, they wouldn't actually say it like that. I might, let's be honest. If I was on the sensitivity team, I might say it that way, but others might not. So you need a group of people that you can trust to be honest and constructive and tell you when you're doing too much or when you're not doing enough. And you need to familiarize yourself with the slang and the vernacular and the little and the idiosyncrasies that may make no sense to you, but are widely understood within that culture. You need to like get as involved and ingratiate yourself as much as you can without appropriating because we don't appropriate around here. Okay, guys, thanks. Um, and then before you even sit down to write a word, like be honest with yourself, search deep within your heart follicles, right? And ask yourself, do the people of this race or culture need me to write this story? Will I be helping or will I be harming the people that I want to write about? And then once you've actually answered that question, honestly, then you may proceed. So yeah, Miss Tesher, Tersher, I really don't know how to pronounce her name. I'm so sorry. She didn't do any of that. Okay. She just tried to explain the black experience to black people and then got upset when it didn't go the way that she had planned. That very long winded post of hers really didn't show any remorse or contrition of any kind. It was mainly about how she felt like she was being bullied, even though she did not take any advice from the black community when they tried to tell her what was up. So you ignored all advice, went forward with it anyway, and then got mad when they ended up being correct. Moral of the story here. Next time you want to write about something that you literally have no idea about, maybe don't ignore the advice of the community who live it every day. Otherwise, you're opening yourself up to a lot of bad reviews. And speaking of bad reviews, another thing that I wanted to address in episode three of Lauren's Library Podcast is whether or not you should write a negative review. Let's get into it. Okay, so I see this question a lot when I'm like doom scrolling through social media. Do you post negative reviews? I've seen people say that they don't post them at all or that they never rate books under a certain amount of stars because they don't want to be mean or they don't like want to hurt the author's feelings. They want to protect the author. And in my opinion, the one that none of you asked for, that does more harm than good. Follow me on this journey here. Well, I do think it's sweet that strangers on the interwebs want to protect others. There's a way to talk about a book without attacking the author as a person, okay? As an author myself, I'm trying to clean it, guys. <laughs> anyway, as an author myself, it sucks to have your work slammed. Absolutely sucks. You put the effort in, the hard work, the sweat, and most likely the tears to get the work out. Just to have every random Billy Bob and Sue across the world sit behind their computer screens or their phone screens and rip your project to shreds. It sucks. But unfortunately, that is one of the less than fun aspects of putting your writing out for public consumption. Somebody's gonna hate it. You know, someone is bound to absolutely despise this book. It could end up, you know, as the, the next literary masterpiece. You and Shakespeare could be competing for like classic title or whatever. Or it could be in Oprah's book club. You could get a movie adaptation. You could have another famous author back your work. All of this could be true for you, but still 
there will be someone out there that hates it. Such is life. Negative reviews, especially the ones that delve deeper into why they gave it a low rating, can actually be helpful. Someone that wasn't in your head while you wrote the book will have a different perspective than you, of course, and it may point out areas that you need to work on in future projects and get stronger in. And it may talk about certain aspects of the story that didn't work for them. If you didn't like a book and you still gave it three stars, it's not really very honest. Let's just be real here. It skews the ratings. Plus, if you don't like something, you should be able to say it. At the end of the day, opinions on writing and books can be kind of subjective. It has its moments. Like what what is good for the goose is not always good for the gander, as they say. I think I said that right. I don't know. <laughs> I don't usually use that phrase, but it works in this moment because what one person likes could be like complete trash to someone else. So that part may be a little subjective. But you should be able to say that you don't like it without having to worry about the masses coming for you. You hear that, Colleen Hoover fans? I should be able to say I don't like a book without worrying that y'all are going to show up outside my house with pitchforks, okay? Sure, the author may be a little salty about it, but I mean, that's fine. Reviews aren't really for the authors anyway. They're for the other readers. And as tempting as it may be to read the reviews, you know, you want the ego stroke. You want to hear people be like, oh my God, I love this book. It was the best. As tempting as that may be, if you can't handle the negative reviews, then why torture yourself, honestly? And I say this as a person who will absolutely cry, throw up, and obsess for a few weeks with the first negative review that I get. So whoever it is to give me my first negative review when this book comes out, just know that you will be the subject of my nightmares for at least a month, okay? Thanks. And honestly, Let's be real here. It doesn't matter how hard you work at it. I know that that is hard to hear. It's hard to swallow. But sometimes it just sucks. You know, people seem to think that hard work automatically cancels out the ability to be terrible. And it it doesn't. <laughs> Newsflash, it doesn't. You can spend hours sewing a sweater, but if the arms are lopsided and the hole of the head is too small to even stick your finger through, then it sucks. I mean, you can spend hours cooking and preparing a meal but if it tastes like a dirty shoe, then it sucks. It is what it is. Basically, what I'm saying is write the negative reviews, okay? You can slam a book without criticizing the author as a person. You can dislike a book without being intentionally hateful and mean. Just be honest about it, you know? And contrary to popular belief, there is a way to be honest without the vitriol and the brow beating. So those people that are just like, I'm not mean, I'm just blunt. They're full of crap. Okay, because you can be honest without being like rude, you know, but there are going to be people out there who are just going to be mean for the sake of being mean, because there are some hateful people in this world. And those people specifically can go lick concrete. Okay, don't be a douche canoe because nobody likes them. Okay, okay. So to summarize what I've talked about so far, if you plan to write a book about a race or a culture that you're not part of, at the very, very least, have a conversation with people who are a part of this culture and learn what to absolutely avoid versus what to include. And you should absolutely leave a negative review if you don't like a book. Reviews are for readers, not for authors. Just don't be a douche canoe about it. So now that we've gotten all that out of the way, let's get to the good stuff. Story time is next. Let me go ahead and put on my storytelling hat. Probably gonna have to do some voices in this one. And we all know how I struggle with that. Anyway, this story is called The Wig Doctor. So for those of you who may not know, which is probably most of you, my husband is the best guy ever. Yes, just in case you're listening. And he's also like a marketing and branding consultant. 
one of his clients does wigs, right? And she actually did a sew-in for me for my wedding. And it was like the first time I really had a sew-in, right? Well, no, I, I had one previously, but it was like the first time I had like one that I really, 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 really loved. So I wanted to get it reinstalled like a couple months later after I'd taken it out, washed my hair, all that good stuff. And I was taking a picture of the closure, right? I had it in my hand. I took a picture of it so I could send to her because she'd asked me to see like what it looked like now and all that. See if I'd been taking care of it. And I remember thinking to myself, I might have even said it in a text message. I don't remember. I was thinking to myself that this looked like I was holding somebody's scalp, right? And that just came up with the whole idea for the story. So buckle your seat belts, clench your butt cheeks, we finna go into it. Okay, are you ready? If not, you have the next 10 seconds. I call her the wig doctor because she's the absolute best out there. Her work is unmatched. Honestly, the wig feels so real. It's almost scary. People can never tell the difference between my scalp and the wig. Like, what lace? You know what I mean? She's professional. She's efficient. Almost clinical, honestly. And she can rehab even the ugliest of wigs. This was the fourth time I'd heard about this girl from my Instagram feed. Apparently, she was local and had been working quietly behind the scenes for some time. She did wigs for a few A-list celebrity women, and then she went viral. All of her reviews that I've seen so far were incredibly positive. I needed a wig for my upcoming wedding, and since I had zero experience when it came to adding hair or anything like that, I relied on word of mouth and social media to point me in the right direction. From what I had gathered, she had a shop that was out in the middle of nowhere where she custom-made wigs for her clients. From what the review said, her turnaround time was not very quick, but the quality of her work made up for the long periods of waiting. She was a one-woman show, after all, so it made sense that it took a long time between clients. My wedding was in six months, so I figured that I would have plenty of time for her to get everything together and have my wig ready. I dialed the number listed in her bio, and she picked up on the fourth ring. Hello? Her voice was quiet and soft. Hi, my name is Lalima, and I was looking to get a wig made for my wedding. It's six months away, so we have time. But I got this number from your Instagram. This is this is Zora, right? I try not to speak too quickly, but being on the phone always aggravated my anxiety. I prefer texting. Uh, yes, okay. Um, I require all clients to book a consultation with me before I get started. This is where we'll go over your measurements and talk about the exact style you're looking for. Is that cool? She seemed friendly enough, straight to the point. I liked people that did not beat around the bush. After setting up the consultation for later on that day, since she had someone cancel, we ended the call. As silly as it sounded, I was both excited and a little nervous about getting this wig made. I had never owned one before. So hopefully mine would turn out just as nice as the other ones I had seen made by her. The whole idea seemed so convenient. On days where my hair would not cooperate, I could just braid it down and slap on a wig. I mean, you can't go wrong with that. My phone buzzing against my leg snatched me out of my daydream. It was my mom calling. Hey, Ma, I answered. I could hear the TV blaring in the background. It was most likely the news. That's all she watched these days. Hey, did you hear the updates from the missing person case? They found her body. They won't release specific details because apparently it's so gruesome. But has Julian mentioned anything to you? 
Julian was my fiance. He was also a detective on the case. He had mentioned it recently, but he hadn't gone into too much detail about it. But about a week ago, we were getting ready to sleep and he had gotten a call. They found a body behind a dumpster in town with the majority of her scalp missing and all of her fingertips burned off. Luckily, they were able to ID her through her dental record. The whole case was heartbreaking. Julian was actually concerned that it might be connected to a few other bodies in town, but there wasn't enough evidence to support that just yet. He had spent almost every night for the past few months obsessing and worrying about this case and the other ones. Whenever he came home, I could tell that the crime scenes had haunted him. He wouldn't talk too much about it, but I knew it bothered him. He'd even talked to the sheriff about expanding the investigation and adding more officers in order to cover more ground. But apparently that idea was shot down pretty quickly. He and the sheriff kept butting heads on this case. Every time they made some headway, it almost seemed as if the sheriff would purposely ruin it. I didn't enjoy talking about the gruesome crimes, but Julian and my mother talked about it almost every time they saw each other. And Julian takes any opportunity he can to talk about his cases. Well, I mean, as much as he can without breaking the rules and sharing confidential information. They talk for hours about each case, to the point where they pretty much forget that I'm even in the room. I don't mind it, though. I mean, what person doesn't want their future spouse to get along with their parents? It makes everything so much easier. I turn my attention back to the conversation. He mentioned it in passing. We haven't had a chance to really discuss it yet, because they had him working around the clock to try and solve this thing. I heard her rustling around in the back room. She's probably trying to reach for the remote without getting up from her recliner. Whenever she wasn't at work, that's where you could find her. Parked right there in front of the TV, usually sleeping with the food she was eating before she knocked out, still in her hand or sometimes in her lap. We talked for a few more minutes as I grabbed my favorite Jordan's outfit to get ready for the consultation. I didn't mention to her where I was going because I didn't feel like hearing her mouth. You have all this hair on your head and yet you want them to sew other people's hair into it. That was her go-to phrase every time I mentioned braids, sew-ins, or any other protective styles. My mom had one go-to style and that was it. After I ended the call with her, I grabbed my purse and my phone and headed out to the car. My nerves were buzzing with excitement. When I arrived at the address that Zora had given me, I was surprised to find that this was actually a large shop and not a small one. I had assumed that since the address was so far away from everything else, that it would be a smaller building. I opened the front door slowly and inside, a woman around my age sat at one of the tables in the corner at a sewing machine. Rows and rows of different wigs lined the walls. It looked as if she had a wig for almost every desired hairstyle. I stood, staring at all the different ones, and feeling a little overwhelmed by the sight of it all. After a moment, she turned and looked at me. I offered a smile, to which she nodded in return. Loud music blasted through the speakers in each corner of the room. It was so loud that I couldn't hear myself think. She motioned to the empty salon chair to her left. Take a seat. I only figured out what she said because I could read her lips. The music was still so loud I couldn't hear her voice. I wasn't sure what I was expecting being in her chair, but this wasn't it. She wasn't very friendly, but she was efficient. Something about this entire place seemed a little overstimulating and intense. Maybe it was the countless number of wigs lining the walls or the music something so loud that you could feel it in your chest. There were no other clients in the entire building from what I could see, not like most salons around here. She took my head measurements silently, not even bothering to make small talk, which I didn't necessarily mind since I don't like small talk anyway, but it was still a little off-putting. When she was done, she lowered the music. I have three orders ahead of you, so it should take me about five months to complete. Do you have any questions? 
I had a million questions, but I honestly didn't feel comfortable asking. She stared at me, almost daring me to ask her something. Um, where, where's your bathroom? It's down the hallway to your left, but do not go near the red door at the end of the hall. The door should be closed and locked, but if it's not, do not go in there. Are we clear? The sudden intensity in her tone threw me off a little. I had no intentions of snooping around in her business, but what could be in that room that made her act like that? I slid out of the chair and entered the hallway. That intense feeling from the part of, front part of the shop was nothing compared to the level of creepy in this back hallway. The hairs on my arms stood straight up. The thick scent of copper smacked against my nose. It was so intense it almost made me want to vomit. I didn't want to be here. When I reached the bathroom, I looked to my right to see the door that Zora was intent upon warning me about. It looked like a normal red door, but if spidey senses were a thing, they were screaming at the sight of it. It was randomly painted red, unlike the rest of the doors in this hallway. She had made no mention of those other ones, so what was it about this one? I shook my head and went in the bathroom, grabbing my phone out of my back pocket to make sure it didn't fall in the toilet. I had just gotten this phone, didn't need anything happening to it. I sat it next to a pretty elephant figurine that matched the decor of the bathroom. I was just finishing up in the bathroom, drying my hands and closing the door behind me when I heard it. Help me. The voice was faint, almost inaudible over the music, but I heard it. It was coming from the other side of the creepy red door. Was someone in there? Maybe someone had hurt themselves and needed my help. I took a step toward the door and then another. I reached my hand out, inches away from the doorknob, when... What are you doing? The sound of Zora's voice so close to my ear made me jump out of my skin. I had been so focused on the door that I didn't see or hear her coming up behind me. She was pissed. I could see it all over her face. I was caught in the act, deliberately defying her wishes. I could feel shame creeping up my neck and warming my cheeks. Uh, I, th I thought I had heard someone. Someone said help me. Her eyes narrowed slightly and she shook her head. It must have been the music. Are you done back here? You're my last client for the evening. She walked me back to the front of the shop. The creepy feeling still settled in my stomach, making me more than ready to get out of there. Hopefully, her work made up for the cold and uninviting feeling of this shop. I hurried home, determined to beat Julian there. He had a night off for the first time in a while, and I don't want to waste a minute of it. I had been home and just gotten dinner started when Julian walked in the front door. Hey, babe. How was work? I saw the stress in his expression before he even responded. He sighed heavily and dropped the badge on the counter. I watched as he ran a hand over his face and forced a tired smile. Another girl has been reported missing. She's a beautiful girl from the pictures I've seen. Got a really distinct scar on her left cheek. I felt bad for him. I knew how rough this job was. No matter how much he loved it, it still weighed on him most days. I'm sorry. Uh, what can I do to take your mind off of it? I wiped my hands on the kitchen towel and gave him a hug. Show me the invitations you picked for the wedding. I reached in my back pocket for my phone to show him the pictures, but it wasn't there. I looked around the kitchen, and Julian offered to go check in the bathroom for me, but no sign of it anywhere. Ah, Zora. I had forgotten I'd left the phone on the counter in the bathroom at her shop. My new phone. There was no way I was leaving it there overnight. I cursed under my breath and grabbed my keys. I left my phone. I'm going to grab it really quick. Dinner should be almost done. I set the timer. Grab it out of the oven when it's done. I'll be back soon. 
I called as I scribbled a quick note for Julian. I was out of the door and in the car before he had a chance to respond. It would be a quick trip. Just had to grab my phone. Hopefully her shop was still open. I couldn't call her to tell her I was coming because I was trying to get my phone. I could only hope she wouldn't be irritated. By the time I made it back to her shop, it was dark outside. I parked and then ran up to the door. It was open, thankfully. The shop itself was dark in the front, but I could see the lights on in the hallway. It looked like she was in the process of closing up, but hadn't quite finished. Hello? I felt weird barging in her shop without her knowing, but no one responded when I called out. I stepped in and flipped on the lights. I really shouldn't be in here, but maybe I can slip in and out without her even knowing. I made my way back to the hallway, determined to grab my phone and go. I had just stepped into the bathroom when the creepy red door crashed open and a young girl came running out. I spotted a scar on her left cheek as she turned and rushed towards me. She was disoriented and covered in red paint. Most of it seemed to be coming from this funny-shaped cap that was hanging off her head. I felt like I had seen a wig on the shelf that looked similar to the bits of hair that I could see from under the cap. She saw me and she began to scream. Run! Run! You have to run! She's gonna kill us both! The same smell of copper hit my nose again, but it was much stronger this time, almost as if it was coming from the girl. The exertion and the excitement seemed to tire her out. She doubled over, struggling to catch her breath. Red paint spilled from the cap onto the floor. She looked at it almost as if it was surprised that she was even seeing it. Another crash from the room made us both jump. There stood Zora with an apron, covered in the same red paint. Paint dripped from her hands onto the floor. It dripped from an instrument between her thumb and her finger. She looked startled to see me, but recovered quickly. What are you doing here, Lilima? She asked, not taking her eyes off the other girl. I stared at the tool in her hand. It was something sharp, like a, a box cutter or... Was that a scalpel? Wait. My brain struggled to connect the dots of what I was looking at. The young girl lay crumpled on the floor in a ball, standing the floor with the paint that was... Wait. No. No. This wasn't paint. It was blood. This poor girl wasn't wearing a cap. The odd shape that I saw hanging from the top of her head and dripping with red liquid was her scalp. I, I, I was looking at the top part of her scalp that had been pulled from her skull. Zor, what? I couldn't even get the words out. She grabbed the young girl by the ankles and dragged her in the direction she came. I watched, too frozen and terrified to move. The girl screamed and grabbed for the doorframe, but couldn't hold on to it tight enough to keep Zora from dragging her away. There was pure terror in her eyes. I wanted to scream, but my lungs had dried up. I wanted to run, but my feet fell glued to the floor. I heard a small thwack and then gurgling sounds, as if someone was struggling to breathe underwater. I squeezed my eyes shut, trying to wish my way out of here. I'll ask you again. What are you doing here? Zora had come back. She was looking at me with purpose. I was almost too scared to wonder what that purpose was. I, I, uh, I, I left my phone pointed to where it still rested on the counter. She looked at the phone and then back at me. I could tell she was contemplating her next move. As we stood there, it started to ring. Julian. She's probably wondering where I was. I had been gone for a while. The ringing temporarily distracted Zora. She glanced over at the screen at the smiling picture of my husband. A look of recognition flashed in her eyes and the color drained from her face. Did she know him? Zora, come on. You need to finish with her scalp so we could dump the body. A set of heavy footsteps heading towards us made my heart jump in my throat. A man appeared next to her, his face covered by the shadows. But 
I had heard that voice before. I knew that voice. Zora turned to face him with a smile on her lips. Now was my only chance to run if I was going to make it out alive. I bolted for the door, but it was too late. It was two against one. The man grabbed me and held me still as Zora picked up that elephant figurine I had been admiring earlier and smashed it against my head with a surprising amount of force. The edges of my vision blurred as I collapsed to my knees with a grunt. In the distance, I heard my phone ringing again. I never did get a chance to grab it. Six months later. Detective Reed, I'm sorry to wake you. We need you here. We found a body. I squinted at the clock on the nightstand. 3.48 a.m. I had just gotten to sleep. With a sigh, I pulled myself out of bed and grabbed my clothes. This job was wearing on me. Even more so now after everything had happened. Text me the address. I'm coming. I hung up the phone and glanced behind me at the empty bed. My heart still ached at the sight. Six months ago, my fiance Lolima disappeared. She literally grabbed her keys and left in the middle of cooking dinner. She never told me an address. I never knew what happened. That night, after she hadn't come home for a while, I started calling her phone trying to see where she was. I felt in my gut that something was wrong and I just wanted to make sure she was okay. She never answered. The only thing she left was a note on the counter in the kitchen that says, Wig doctor. I had no idea what that even meant. I never mentioned it during the investigation because I wasn't sure it was even relevant. I wasn't even sure she had written it before she left. So far, there were no clues, no leads, nothing. When I arrived at the scene, there were cop cars everywhere with the usual caution tape around the scene to block everything off. We were at a dumpster on the outskirts of town. I stepped out of my car and headed towards the crime scene. The sheriff stopped me on my way over, grabbing my shoulder tightly. I turned to look at him, wondering what his problem was. Reed, uh, Julian, we should talk before you go over there. He looked upset. I shrugged him off. Whatever he needed to say could wait. I just wanted to get this done so I could go back home and get back in my empty bed. So I could get back to feeling sorry for myself. Detective! He called after me again, but I kept walking until I got close enough to see what was going on. I spotted the shoes first. My blood ran cold. Lying crumpled next to the dumpster was the body of my fiance. My world. Dead. Her body stiff, bloated, and lifeless after laying out here for god knows how long. My knees buckled under me. I could hear someone screaming, but it sounded far away. No, 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 no. I realized the screaming was coming from my own throat. Someone grabbed me and pulled me into a hug. I realized it was my partner. Through everything that was happening, I hadn't realized that they had called him as well. I leaned into him, feeling like everything around me was crashing and breaking. I felt like I was underwater drowning. All the voices around me blending and garbling together. As I stood there, staring at the corpse of the love of my life, I vaguely heard a conversation going on behind me. They were due to be married next week. I couldn't imagine what I'd do if something happened to my wife. That was the sheriff's voice. Oh, I didn't realize you were married, Sheriff. Yeah, we had a quiet ceremony a few years back. She's a local hairstylist. Wigs, actually. Wigs. I heard the sheriff chuckle as pieces started to click together in my mind. Yeah. She's been doing it for a while, actually. She's traveled over a few different states making wigs for celebrities and other clients. They call her the wig doctor. And that's all we have time for today. Let me know what you think of that story. You feeling it? You not feeling it? 
let me know. Make sure you rate and review this podcast for whatever platform you're using. You can leave me a message at Lawrence Library Podcast on Instagram. You can also find me posting detailed reviews on the bookie babe underscore on Instagram or at www.thebookiebabe.com. Basically, what I'm saying is if you want to say hello, there are multiple ways to contact me. So take your pick. But one way or another, I will talk to you soon. Thank you so much. Bye, guys.